HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hi there, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this half-hour journey through culinary history. And certainly, unless you're living under a rock, you've all heard about the cronut. You know, there are so... The donut, it seems, is so popular that people keep looking for ways to make it to make it theirs, to make it different, to make it new. There's the bagel donut or the muffin donut. Even yesterday, I just read about a biscuit donut. I don't know what they're going to call that. A biznut. I think they said biznut. Well, you know, call it what you want. Donuts seem to be, at least in America, a very favorite food. And my guest today has even called it an edible symbol of America. My guest is Michael Crandall. Michael has uh, has just published a book called The Donut. Michael is a food historian and an author who has written several books, including Sweet Invention, another sweet uh, a book a book of sweets, Taste of Conquest on the Spices and the Spice Road, Around the American Table, the great little pumpkin book. And he's been a contributor to many journals such as Gastronomica and Savour. You may recall the tempting cover of that magazine with the donuts on it. And that was Michael's contribution. Michael, welcome. Thank you. I, you know, I could not read the book and do some little background research without craving sweets and running out to get something to eat. A good donut was not within my reach, even though I do live close to the cronut shop, but I was not willing to stand in line for an hour and a half. Um, How in the world could you, did you get saturated with sweets writing this? In a word, yes. (laughs) Although I have a fairly high tolerance for sweets, so I was able to 
kind of get super saturated and then you know go on a fast for about two or three hours and then two or three um, hours. <laughs> go back to the next the next batch yeah mm-hmm. you you um i don't know if it was you who coined it the edible symbol of america was that something that you that i don't you know if it, in it? fact i'd say that but i should maybe have said pub- it maybe yeah. your publisher said it no. if, if i didn't <laughs> say it say it i should have said it i think you look at the donut and you kind of think about okay so what are the other you know American edible symbols, except for maybe steak. Corn? Corn. <laughs> corn, I think, is a symbol of American industry more than it is. Well, a, people, hamburger, steak, yeah. But. Right. But I think, you know, except for beef, if you're going to talk about a characteristic American sweet, and a sweet that you can really, really sort of trace all the way back to the pilgrims, and a sweet that is almost like a... The history of American food in, in miniature or, you know... Has always been with us. It has always been with us. And each generation sort of seeks to reinvent the donut. Um, yes, as we see. As we see today. Yeah, right. Okay, so is it American? Of course not. I mean, the donut goes back well, to fry, antiquity. Yeah, right? fried dough has been around as long as people have known how to fry dough. So the ancient Greeks had some sort of fried dough in Renaissance Europe. They had fried dough. The Chinese had fried dough. Basically, pretty well, everyone has some sort of fried dough. If they had dough and had fat, they figured out, well, it tastes better if you fry it than if you bake it. Right. Right. Uh, and, and we aren't even limiting ourselves to yeast-risen doughs or baking soda-risen doughs or even risen doughs. Or, I, mean, I think really. the idea of... Um, making the dough rise with baking powder or baking soda or some other artificial leavener is very much of an American idea. I mm-hmm. think if you're going to look at the cake donut, I think you can say, yes, that is American. American. The yeast donut, lots of other people have yeast donuts. So tell us a little bit about how far back you... you I mean, you, you really did a look at donuts around the world, but you also went back in history to look at the the oldest actual recipe or or account that you could find of of a, of a method of cooking donuts so tell us about where how far back you can probably trace the, it. well there are certain recipes in apicius um which is the ancient roman source of fried dough whether you could call them donuts eh, probably not um there are medieval arab recipes for fried dough that come much closer. In other words, they are basically a bread dough that is formed into a shape, fried in fat, and then smothered in either sugar syrup or possibly honey. honey. Yeah. yeah. So you find those. Um, there's a wonderful scene in um, Don Quixote where Sancho Panza sees all these pots of grease boiling away and then making donuts. And at the very last moment, he's pulled away by the by Don Quixote, who has to run off and do, you know, save some damsel in distress. And Sancho Panza is just devastated at not being able to eat these donuts. So they were very common in Europe, uh, very common in Europe, especially during festivals, but also for during Mardi Gras, because when it comes to fat, right, you, you got, most of the fat was lard. So it was pig fat. And you couldn't eat that in Catholic Europe during Lent. And so what you did was used up as much as possible in that week or so prior to uh, Fat Tuesday. And what better way to use it, right? That's right. I mean, there's a reason that Fat Tuesday is called Fat Tuesday. Yeah. Um, so, and that's what I w- one wanted to touch on, too, were the um, the association with religious holidays and this donut, and then you just mentioned that, but uh, um, also Hanukkah. There's, I mean, the, the fried 
donuts in Hanukkah, though. It's one of those things that I was actually trying to figure out how far back that went, mm-hmm. because um, Hanukkah is not a particularly important holiday in the Jewish calendar. It is now because of its association, in particular with Christmas. But it didn't used to be. Um, and it didn't used to be celebrated with any sort of food. It was used to be celebrated with the candles. And then eventually this idea of using the fat to fry something came around. And, of course, the first thing they did was they fried some sort of small fritters or donuts. Right. And then, yes, the latkes came along much later. Mm-hmm. And Venice. I mean, there were there were donuts in... in um or fritters, or frittelle, in, in Venice. The Venetians, uh, famous, infamous, for <laughs> all sorts of fried dough. There's many illustrations from the Renaissance and later of the street sellers selling all sorts of frittelle, again, typically for carnival. And you, am I not mistaken, you said that they that this was brought to them by the Viennese or by by. The Germans, who introduced No, there's two kinds of donuts. No, there's actually several kinds of donuts that you (laughs) find in Venice. Um, There's the traditional ones, which are a lot like uh, a Dutch oleobolen, which are basically kind of a loose bread dough with all sorts of fruit and other flavorings in it. Um, That's one kind. There's another kind that are more or less like a French cruller recipe. That is, it's a choux pastry dough, and then you fill it with all sorts of delicious cream. And then there's various kinds of fried cookies. And then finally, when the uh, Viennese invaded around the Napoleonic Wars, they brought with them the Viennese, the German version, which is a Krapfen. Mm -hmm. And so the Venetians, who seem never to have met a donut they didn't like, um, hated the Viennese. But decided that they, they adopted the they adopted the krapfen, <laughs> and now you know mid morning snack. You go to a little pasticceria. You have your espresso along with your krapfen. <laughs> well, in um, you did you did quite a, a bit of research in India on sweets. I remember from I did. your article in Gastronomica. Um, Indians fry a lot because Indians don't have ovens, right? So everything is pretty well made on top of the stove. And there's a bunch of different fritters made. Whether you could call any of them really a donut is maybe pushing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them are based on some sort of a fresh cheese mixture. Um, there is something that is round. Uh, toroidal is the correct term. <laughs> um, in Nepal, apparently, that is very much like a donut. Uh, looks like a donut. As far as filling the donut, like a sufganiat or a pachki, um, panchki, um, the Polish right. version, jelly donut. Or, or a coffin. Or a coffin. Um, they're yeah, all very similar, these filled jelly donuts. Did that, was that something that was done... Uh, right away, or they were mostly just the fried puffs of dough. And when did they start? When did when did these puffs start getting filled? It's unclear. You know, you can only go so far back, and then you just guess. Come on, I'm putting but you on the spot. In your they were definitely <laughs> they were definitely filled by the 15th century in uh, Germany. There's recipes for the fillings, oddly enough, and not for the actual dough. And mm. it's a little unclear at the time whether they were more like filled ravioli. Because the dough is not specified. About 100 years later, the dough is specified and they are filled. And they're often filled with savory or sweet savory fillings. One of my favorites was eel and apples. Interesting. Probably sweetened also. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know if that would necessarily go on my list. Well, you know what? I bet there's somebody out there in America, some hipster making something very equivalent. I'm sure. 
And of course, the French, they have their donut style as well, beignets, but also you tell the very um, cute story of the pet de nun. The pet de nun, also known as nun's farts. Um, there's a great deal written in French, mostly, about the nun's farts. And nun's farts are really just little cream puffs, uh, shoe pastry dough that's um, fried. And the story goes that there was this nun apocryphal, naturally. <laughs> there, there was this nun. But fun. But fun. Uh, actually, this novice who was making uh, some sort of uh, preparation and dropped these um, little droplets of shoe pastry into the frying fat. They blew up magically. <laughs> um, they were served and everybody says, oh my gosh, these are the best things ever and what are we going to call them? Well, they're full of air like a nun's <laughs> wind. Yes, we can say fart on the air. It's okay. <laughs> uh, and and then, of course, the French go on to you know, elaborate on these. The French have all things. sorts of what they call beignet. And a, the word beignet is more or less meaningless. I mean, it can mean these little shoe pastry things. Um, they have lots of yeast-based beignet uh, along the Atlantic coast in particular. There's lots of yeast-based beignet um, also along the German side of the country. There's all sorts of yeast-based beignet. And again, mostly made for carnival. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, not getting their fill, and if they didn't uh, give up those for Lent, <laughs> people <laughs> went on to eat these donuts and wonderful fried things all year long. As we travel around the world, um, there are also um, you... Oh, the jalebi. You were talking about India. Yes. Um, what in the jaleb, What are the jalebi? The problem with the jalebi is, again, it's one of those things that it depends what it is, um, rather. It depends where you are, what it is. Okay. Um, so the, uh, the Indian jalebi are a kind of a loose dough that's fermented, not with yeast usually, but it's fermented and then poured in little ribbons or little strings in fat, and then it's dipped into some sort of a sugar syrup. These originate in the Middle East with something called a zalabiya or a zalabiya. There's variations on that which again take the form of about three or four different shapes you find them in baton shapes you find them in little round shapes and you find them in these kind of tangled stringy shapes and these two have a religious association they tend to be served for ramadan hmm. interesting um the and the sh- you talk about shapes it uh, brings to mind churros churros so that i mean these batons again you know long yes batons yes are- um or as uh, a friend calls them, syringe fritters, because that's how they were made. And there's lots of recipes for syringe fritters that go back several hundred years. And yes, you would put them into a piping bag or a syringe, and then you exude these out. And in Spain, they were called churros. In Britain, they were called syringe fritters. Hmm. Um, in uh, the Germans, parts of the German-speaking world, they were called Straubin. Uh, and probably are the descent or the ancestors to funnel cakes. Yeah, I was going to say, but, you know, where, as a purist, would one draw a line between funnel cakes, oil cakes, fry bread, fritters, and then a donut? I think that you could, but you would have to be a real, <laughs> you'd be a bigger purist than and, I am. And why? <laughs> and why, exactly. Because the thing is that the theory goes that a donut is something that you roll out and cut. Whereas a fritter is something that's a looser batter, but the problem with that is that every single donut that's made in a commercial 
done Dunkin' Donuts or any of these places is actually more of a batter consistency, and it is dropped out of a glorified syringe, really, hmm. uh, in rings into fat. So it's more like a fritter in that sense of the word. Let's talk about the donut with the hole. The donut with the hole. When when did that first come about? How, how do you know we have we talk about the jelly donuts, of course, the fritters, the the big poofs of dough. When did we first see a donut with a hole in it? Well, there have been donuts with holes or fried pastries with holes around for a long time. Uh, the idea of putting a hole in something is not exactly original. But uh, early American donuts were nut-shaped, thus dough nut. Dough nut, little nuts of Little nuts, you right? know. If you look in Webster's early dictionary, it defines a donut as being a fried thing that's the shape of a nut. Um and that works perfectly fine if you're making a yeast donut. That's still how you make pashki, uh, krapfen, any of those things. But when Americans started to use baking powder, baking soda, these sort of uh, artificial leaveners, um, they don't cook as evenly as a, um, as a yeast donut. And also they tend to have a lot more sugar in them, so they burn more easily. Mm. And if you try to buy, uh, if you try to fry something that's the shape of a croffin or something like that, a disc, and it is a cake donut, it has a tendency to not to cook in the middle. It's soggy in the middle and burned soggy on the edges. Soggy in the middle. Right? <laughs> so very clearly, someone fairly early on these uh, cake donuts come in probably in the 1830s or so. Uh, someone fairly early along realized, okay, if I punch out the hole, then it will. Cook more evenly, and there was lots of precedent. There were very, there was a very popular cookie at the time called a jumble, and right. you occasionally hear of donuts being called jimbles or jumbles, presumably because they had a hole because in them. Because of the hole, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about the modern donut and America's love affair with donuts when we come back after a brief break. sort through all the misinformation about healthy eating, Whole Foods Market added a seventh core value to promote the health of our stakeholders through healthy eating education. In our stores, we give you the tools you need for choosing the most nutritious foods and healthy recipes, as well as offering classes with nutritionists and cooking coaches to help inspire good health and well-being. Stop by your local store today and learn more about our Health Starts Here program and wellness clubs or online at wholefoodsmarket.com slash health starts here. Hi, I'm Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. Do you love us? Do you really? Do you count on us for real food news and content? Well, we need your help. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a not-for-profit organization, which means we depend on underwriting, grants, and the support of members like you to keep broadcasting. Help keep our voice alive. Visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org and click the Donate button today. We promise to never stop in our mission to create a world that's more sustainable, equitable, and delicious by expanding the way eaters think about food. Thanks for listening, and thanks for showing your support. You've been listening to Vicodin Dreams by Taxstar.
Hi, we're back talking about donuts and whether your favorite is a yeast donut or a cake donut, a donut hole or a fritter. I think we're covering it all today with Michael Crandall, whose book is The Donut. The Oh, actually, it has a nice long title. The Donut, History, Recipes, and Lore from Boston to Berlin. And you do. You really do cover the world in donuts, Michael. You, I'm, I'm, I give it to you. Good. There, there is a world of donuts. There is a world of donuts. There is a world of donuts. And there is no doubt that America does have a love affair with donuts. And jokes are made about the police officers taking their break. You know, oh, they must be eating donuts. I mean, you know, it, donuts is everyone's was and was, and then and now it's everything old is new again. They're back again. Um, new donut shops opening shops opening everywhere. A great snack. People, you know, wanting to snack on these things. What um, What about, how, you know, when they started to mass produce them, and obviously they couldn't keep cutting them by hand and frying them by hand. Tell me a little bit about the industrialization of the donut. Well, donuts in the 19th century are very much associated with mom. You know, mom is cutting those things up and frying them up, which is incidentally a kind of a dangerous operation, particularly if you've got this giant vat of fat sitting mm. in a fireplace or even... Um, on a uh, coal-fired stove. Might as well be welding. Right? Might as well be welding, right? Um, and there are stories of people getting, at least one story of somebody getting killed, and many stories of people getting seriously hurt. Burned. But anyways, um, by the time you get into the 20th century, you know, we've got modernization, we've got Henry Ford, we've got Hershey's producing uh, chocolates by the um, ton. And so people are looking for ways to industrialize the process. Um Donuts become a really big deal after the First World War because during the First World War, uh, the Salvation Army comes uh, to Europe and one of the very few things they seem to be able to make fresh on the front are donuts. And so the soldiers come back and there's records of people writing, you know, we should open up a donut shop because the boys are coming back from Europe. And there are several tries to make the industrial donut. Uh, One of the earliest was in Washington, which was the Dono donut company and their trick was going to be to make square donuts and they were going to make them in these modern industrial facilities and they were going to patch them in square boxes and the square donuts and more was, you see you got you could get, you get more, more in a box that way right <laughs> the problem with the donuts i suspect was that they were kind of stale because by the time you put them into the box and so on they did not make success of it who did make a success of it was a businessman in new york who set up a a donut um, machine that he and an engineer had come up with in the window of a Harlem bakery. And this idea of like seeing the donut being made, and you still have this experience now if you go to farm stands and you watch watch the cider donuts dropping out one after the other. And these were the kinds of machines that were made eventually what would become the Donut Corporation of America. Um, You know, you've got GE, you've got American Motors, and you've got the Donut Corporation of America that really dominated donuts from, let's say, the 1920s until the 1970s. Pretty well everybody who was making industrial donuts had one of these automated machines made by the DCA. Hmm. Interesting. And these were – did they use in those – in that early um, invention of the machine, did they use yeast dough out of those? They used a no, they didn't. It was actually, it's actually very tricky to make yeast dough donuts with a machine. They still and have to be cut. Really, they have to be cut, cut and it, they str- they've struggled for it for years. I think now they've figured out a way of doing it. But for most of the history of the donut, <laughs> it was just uh, cake donuts. Mm. 
I remember a conveyor belt when I was a kid. Um, uh, the Dixie Cream Donut Company was a small franchise, mm-hmm. I, I would imagine. But watching, as you say, standing in the window and watching. But they were used donuts, but they had a, a stamper. Right. So they had the stamper that would come and cut them and cut them. Which the is what Krispy Kreme does, basically. Right, right. Uh, so, so it's an so automatic like stamper, but you still have to stamp that. Whereas with a cake donut, these industrial machines have this kind of donut slurry, and then they just drop them ring by them out one after another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned um, people bringing donuts to the men in the war. This became this became a very popular activity, and you know, a little taste of home to our boys abroad. Oh, it was I, huge, and you would think, you know, donuts, First World War, but in fact, um, there was the army recognized that it was very important. There were dozens and dozens of stories in publications like the New York Times, the uh, the Washington Post, uh, the Chicago papers about these Salvation Army volunteers making donuts. Uh, there was a multi-day kind of reportage um, of a donut truck that had gotten stuck uh, at the front, and the Germans were just bombing it and bombing it and bombing it. And every night, the Americans would come out and try to rescue the truck so they could thing. get their donuts because there were hundreds of donuts on it and eventually literally after hundreds of bombs had fallen on this thing the germans managed to blow it to smithereens uh-huh. and this was reported day after day after day <laughs> in the new york times in new york because people were in new york were following the you know donut saga the donut right? saga on the front well we can't talk about that without mentioning the donut dollies. Oh, the donut dollies. Well, what happened during the Second World Second World War was that the donuts were now made by the American Red Cross, typically by women, well, almost all women, basically, who had gotten machines from the Donut Corporation of America, who donated the machines. They didn't donate the mix, though. <laughs> uh, they donated the machines, and these women would outfit these trucks, these, uh, what they would call... Um, they weren't called donut mobiles, although they should have been. They were called club mobiles. And they would pull up to the soldiers very close to the front and would dispense donuts, cigarettes, maybe some candy, uh, magazines. And later on, the Red Cross women, they weren't called this during the Second World War, but in Korea and in Vietnam, they started to be referred to as donut dollies. And by that point, I actually had a conversation with a donut dolly the other day. And by that point, they weren't making the donuts anymore. They mm-hmm. were just handing them out. And did they not like being called donut dollies? No, apparently they, they took they the donut dolly uh, as a badge of courage or whatever, yeah. uh, honor. Um, but apparently the soldiers sometimes use the term in a different sense than yeah, I would the imagine. young women uh, <laughs> liked it to be used. I would imagine so, yeah. But what? A, but still, what a great thing, I mean, to you know, give a little taste of home. And, that, and there already it has become um, an American symbol, uh, you know, the donut, if, because it was a, a taste of home that they were bringing to them. And Absolutely, and the logistics involved in getting all of this to the front were enormous. And at one point, uh, the Pentagon wanted to cut it off because they were like, you know, we can't supply the soldiers with meat. We can't supply the soldiers with all sorts of basics. And apparently the officers at the front, fairly high up, said, no, 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 no. You have to keep sending the donut mix because (laughs) it's keeping up morale. I mean, at one point there was a camp uh, when the war was winding down. There was a camp when there were, I guess, tens of thousands of soldiers. And they would go through literally a million donuts per day. 
and two million cups of coffee to keep, <laughs> keep the keep, soldiers happy. Keep them awake and keep them yeah. up. on sugar high, but, you know, hey, they, sure, they're, they're yeah. up. Yeah, they're up. Um, so back in America, um, what was what was really the first um, large chain? Was it Dunkin' Donuts? The f- you know, the chains were around early. So um, Krispy Kreme was around from the 18, uh, 1930s. Yes. Um, but they were fairly small, and if they were around at all, they were very, very regional. Dunkin' Donuts starts um, in 1950. Randolph's? Um, Randolph's? Which? Randolph's? Randolph's Donuts? There was a bunch of these, yeah, all these sort ones. of Winchell's. Yeah, there was a bunch of these little regional chains all over the country. And it wasn't really until the 1960s, but particularly the 1970s, that they took off. And I have a theory about this, which has to do with the fact that donuts do well in times of economic crisis. Mm. So that if you look at the Depression, donuts were big. If you look at the 1970s, donuts were big. And if you look at the first decade or last maybe 10 years when we've been in this economic crisis, right? Once again, donuts become huge. So they take off in the 1970s um, and... Dunkin' Donuts becomes by far, by far, by far the biggest chain. Yeah. Well, and then, and as I mentioned earlier, suddenly, I don't know, you know, everything becomes the new darling. You know, the, the cupcake became the new craze, um, uh, much attributed possibly to, you know, the television show Sex and the City. Oh, absolutely. Trends. I think that's right. And then um, uh, donuts suddenly, you know, they, they never went away. They've always been around. But all of a sudden they became this new craze with odd flavors, exotic flavors, any flavor you can imagine. And donut shops, fancy donut shops, if you will, popping up all over the place. Small ones. You know, artisanal donuts. Once yeah, again. I, I it's think, it's a what 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 do you attribute to that? Well, I, I do think that part of it has to do with this kind of re, the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. I do think that has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, donuts, like a cupcake, is an affordable treat. But I think there's something else about donuts. Donuts have a kind of a street cred that cupcakes will never have. They are associated with the working man they're associated I say, with that's, it's, it's not gender it's, it's not a feminine treat not especially not yeah. especially they tend to be associated more with men than with mm-hmm. women although statistically more women eat them but that's but I mean think, I, mean, and the, I was talking about the jokes the police officers aren't around exactly. so they must be eating donuts because exactly. they would go to the local donut shop and have their coffee break you know? right and it's Homer Simpson right Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> so they're very much associated with the working class and I think because of that if you are you know running a hipster Bakery in you know Oakland or Williamsburg or many other neighborhoods around this country. The donut you can kind of load it down with all sorts of kind of ironic association, but at the same time it remains somehow honest because it's a hunk of fried dough. Yeah, yeah. and the idea of of course putting the bacon on the fried dough, <laughs> you know, the too much on the too much, um, which I'm not sure who originated it, but. Uh, Certainly the first uh, donut place uh, that made a name for themselves with this is a place in uh, Portland called uh, Voodoo Donuts. Voodoo Donuts, right. Um, yeah. Maybe the best known weird donut shop in the country. Right. Well, you have included several very delicious recipes in this book. Not only is it just history and lore, um, but actual recipes, too, which I, I, I have to say, the Nutella donut did draw me in. Mm-hmm. That, and there, that's just, that's basically a frittella. It's a, fr- a fritter. Um, it is what the, yes, it's what the uh, 
the the Venetians call a, would call a crabfin and what the um, the Florentines would call a bombolone, mm-hmm. um, which is the same thing. It's really what you know. It's a it's a Berliner. It's a it's a Bismarck. It, it's all. It's basically just a round piece of light bread dough that you then stuff. I think the the classic glazed yeast donut has to remain number one in most people's choices. I don't know. You know, I don't know. I, there is a... I was at a talk the other day, and there was a slight, slight majority for yeast donuts versus cake donuts. But I found that most of the people there really liked both pretty well <laughs> equally. <laughs> the little mini powdered donuts, the big ones with sprinkles. The donut holes. The donut right. holes, right. Okay, so... Confession time, what is your guilty treat or your all-time favorite donut? You know, it's one of those, like, what's your, who's your favorite child okay, questions. <laughs> um, but I have two go-to donuts, one of which is the cider donut, because I think it has just so much association. Yeah, yeah. And I only recently found out, incidentally, that cider donuts probably date to the 1950s hmm. and were probably invented by the Donut Corporation of America. Um <laughs> Because before that, you used to dip donuts in cider. You didn't make donuts with cider. So, you know, an autumn day, a hot, slightly greasy cider donut coming out of one of those machines. Uh, well, you're waiting to pick your apples. Well, right? you're waiting to pick your apples or pick through your apples. Right. That's sort of at one end. And at the other end is that kind of Viennese Kropfen, you know, with the big sort of Viennese cup of coffee mm. filled with really, really good jam. And it oozes out as you bite into it. And you brought up dunking. We didn't even get to that topic. Dunkings. I mean, you called them, you referred to them as sinkers and, and uh, a couple of times in the book, too. That's sinkers common, is an old term. Old term. Old term, yeah. yeah. And who dunks and who doesn't dunk. And Well, I don't care whether you dunk or you don't dunk or if you like sprinkles or you like the holes. Donut is definitely a great treat. And Michael Crandall, thank you so much for sharing your information on your book, The Donut, History, Recipes, and Lore. And thank you for listening. It's been A Taste of the Past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.